Good morning. Hope you enjoyed that rendition uh, from Casting Crowns as much as I do. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. You know, a few weeks ago I was reminded of the story uh, behind this Christmas song and uh, how it speaks to our topic this morning of Christ as the Prince of Peace bringing us inward peace. Of course, that song is entitled, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's actually based on a poem uh, by maybe America's best or, and well-known uh, poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I want to share the story behind the song uh, to begin our sermon. At the peak of his career, uh, the nation was being torn apart uh, by the start of the Civil War. So there was North against South, and the nation was uh, beginning uh, a most bloody civil war. And during that time period, not only was the nation being torn apart, uh, but Henry's life was being torn apart as well. First of all, by the death of his wife, uh, a very tragic story, his wife's dress caught on fire, and he found her uh, ablaze. And uh, in, an, in an attempt to rescue her from uh, imminent death by burning, he himself was burned rather badly. Uh, so much so that he could not even attend his wife's funeral. And that was just the start. Uh, Two years later, his son was uh, in the Civil War, and he heard the news uh, about around Christmas time that his son had been severely wounded and had returned home to be under his care, and that uh, threw him even further into what was then uh, close to, if not a near depression. As the story goes, for Christmas day that particular year upon the return of his son he really wanted to pull himself out of this christmas time blues if you will and the way that he wanted to do that was by poetry that's what he did he was a poet and so he wanted to bring himself out of this depression in a poem and so he picked up his pen and he wrote the first stanza to this song that we now know he wrote i heard the bells on christmas day Their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The story goes that he's riding underneath uh, the church bells, and they're ringing, and they're ringing, sounding out of, of peace on earth. And so he writes this first stanza. And yet he pondered the darkness of the civil war that was now into, uh, at least its second or third year. And uh, the, the tragedy and the death tolls of that, he pondered his own personal tragedy uh, during the Christmas time, and he wondered how there could ever be peace on earth at such a time as that. And so he, he wrote another stanza, and it, it went this way. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong, and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so it's an up and down song. It starts off by proclaiming that there is peace on earth and the bells are, are ringing and declaring that, that peace. And yet he finds himself in a state of a lack of peace. And so he's struggling to find peace. And then he ends the poem positively. He ends the song uh, catching an eternal perspective, if you will, with the message of Christ as the Prince of Peace. And so he ends the song, the poem, this way. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, and the right prevail with peace on earth and goodwill to men. It's a wonderful story. We sing this song at Christmas time, and 
the man who wrote it struggled to find what we're going to be talking about this morning, and that is how Christ, as the Prince of Peace, offers us inward peace. Last week, if you were with us, uh, we had a guest speaker, and the week before that, I introduced this sermon series with uh, three directions of peace that Christ, as the Prince of Peace, has come to give us. First of all, he has uh, come to give us upward peace, that is, peace with God, a reconciled relationship with God by paying for our sins, dying on the cross, and being resurrected from the dead, and he offers us uh, a peace treaty. The Bible says we are God's enemies, we uh, hate him, and we are not right with him, and yet Christ has come as the Prince of Peace to offer us an upward peace, and that's the first and, and most foundational peace that we can experience, that we must experience. And yet, the second type of peace that we're going to talk about that follows is an inward peace. And experiencing true inward peace uh, happens when we experience, first of all, upward peace. And so today, in part two of our sermon series called The Prince of Peace, we're going to examine how Christ has come to give us inward peace. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them, first of all, to the Gospel of John. So turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Uh, John, uh, there in John 14, 15, and 16, Christ, it's the upper room discourse, and Christ is speaking to his disciples on the very eve of his betrayal, uh, the very eve uh, of his trial, and then the following morning, he's going to die for the sins of the world, and he's speaking, having a very intimate, close time, trying to explain the events that are about to happen to his disciples in John 14. And we're going to focus in, kind of like a laser beam, in John 14, 27. That's where we're going to get started. First of all, uh, we're going to look at the pieces to peace. That is, four aspects, four characteristics of this inward peace from John 14, 27. Seven. So four pieces to peace. And then secondly, we're going to look at four pathways to peace. That is four practices, four things that we can do uh, to grow our experience of enjoying this inward peace. So four pieces to peace from John 4, and then four pathways to peace from a couple other scriptures that we'll introduce. So I hope you're there uh, with me in John 14. Let's pray. And then we'll begin to look at the four pieces to this inward peace that Christ offers. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be with us, that your spirit would be among us, that you would teach uh, the word through me, and that uh, your people might hear it, that may, they may enjoy it, and that they may be changed, that we all may be changed by your word. Father, we live in a world where there is no peace, and uh, we agree with, uh, with uh, the, the poet Henry Wadsworth uh, Longfellow that oftentimes in despair we do bow our heads, and there is often no peace on earth. Hate is strong, and it does mock the song, and yet you have sent your very Son, Jesus Christ, to give us upward peace with God, and then inward, a true inward peace as only he can give. And so help us, we pray, to learn about it, to understand it, and to truly experience it as those who are his followers. And it's in the name of Jesus, the strong name of Jesus, that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. So I want to begin uh, by looking at John 14, verse 27. And in this small verse, I think we see four pieces to inward peace. And the first piece is found uh, in John 14, 27. Let's just read it together, and then we'll walk through these four pieces. Jesus is speaking here, and he says this, Peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart to be troubled, and do not be afraid. 
As I just said, uh, Jesus speaks these words not out of context, but in a particular context. And the context that Jesus is speaking is he's speaking to his disciples. They're confused. They're worried. They're scared. They're fearful. Because if you read through a little bit of John 13 and 14, he has said things like, hey, one of you this night is going to betray me. And they're confused. Who is it going to be? Could it be me? He's told them that their leader, Peter, the strong one, would deny him. And it would be hard for them to believe that. He has told them that he's going away from them and that where he's going, they cannot come. And to men who had followed him and uh, uh, followed after him and lived with him, heard his words and lived every waking moment of their lives for the past three years with him, following after him, for him to say, I'm going somewhere and you can't follow, had to be an incredibly disturbing thing. And so here what we see in John 14 is Jesus bestowing the gift of peace to them. And that leads us to the peace number one. The first aspect of this inward peace is this. Peace is a gift. Peace is a gift. It's a gift that Jesus gives to those who follow him. He uh, gives it to them as a gift. Notice the words in John 14, 27. He says, I'm going to leave this peace with you. He says, I give you this peace. And so the first point that I want us to see, the first peace to peace is that it's a, it's a gift. It's something that Jesus gives to his followers, those who are born again, those who truly know him. And we cannot miss the truth that inward peace comes from knowing Christ as the Prince of Peace. And so if you want true inward peace, the first thing that we have to do is come into a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have to come to place our faith in the perfect life and the, the substitutionary death and, and the powerful resurrection of Jesus. And when we come to know Jesus, then he can give us this peace as a gift as he did his first followers. So the first aspect to inward peace is that it's a gift. And the second piece to peace is similar. And that is this. Peace is not only a gift, but this inward peace is actually something that is outside of us. It's kind of the uh, flip side of peace as a gift. If, if, if peace is a gift that Jesus gives to his followers, then by necessity, it's something that is outside of them and something that is outside of us. Notice the words. Jesus says, peace I leave to you. And then he emphasizes it. Whose peace is it? My peace, right? Peace I'm going to give to you, and it's my peace. It's his peace. And because inward peace is a gift from him, by necessity, it does not originate within us. It's not something that we just produce. It's not something that we just muster up. It's not something that we just come up with by our own willpower or sheer determination. It's not something that we create within us. It's a gift from outside of us that then comes to live inside of us. It doesn't come about by psychological technique. It doesn't come about by medicinal manipulation. It's not a self-help spirituality. It's a peace that is outside of us that Jesus gives as a gift and then comes to live inside of us. I just happened to go to uh, the eye doctor this past week. It's something that I do annually because my eyes are poor. And so every year I go to, to see how, uh, how much worse my eyes have gotten, right? I don't know if you do that or not, but I have got really poor eyes. If I take out my contacts, 
I could barely read my notes. I have really poor vision. So I go every year to check my vision and to see how much worse it is. Now, thankfully, this year I went and, and the doc said, hey, you haven't gotten any worse. And I rejoiced because I still have really poor vision, but it could be worse. So I happened to be sitting there and I'm waiting to see the, uh, the eye doctor. And uh, I just noticed that there was a small little decorative sign in his office. I'm just sitting around waiting for him, so I'm checking out the office and just seeing what's there. And there's a small decorative sign. And uh, it began uh, in rather large print with the word peace. And I thought, oh, it caught my eye. Because, of course, I'm preaching on peace, and so it caught my eye. And so I, and so I, I looked closer because I didn't have my contacts. Right? So I looked really close. You know, I want to see it. And I look really close to see what this dentist, uh, or, excuse me, eye doctor's sign said about peace. I thought, oh, maybe he's a Christian or something. You know, so I wanted to see what it said. And, and this is what it said. It said, peace, it begins inside of us, and it goes out from here. And I thought about it. And I said, is that true? Does true peace begin in here Does it begin with us and then go out? Or does it begin with Christ and then come in and then go out? And I think that's true. Peace is a gift that Jesus offers. It's something that's outside of us that Jesus gives to us. And as we continue to look at this one verse, John 14, 27, we see the third piece of peace, and it's this. Peace is not circumstantial. It's not based upon the circumstances of our life. So it's a gift that Jesus gives to his followers. And because of that, it's outside of us, coming to live inside of us. And by necessity then, it is not circumstantial. Notice what Jesus says. The peace that he offers his followers is different than the circumstantial peace that the world offers. What does he say? He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then he clarifies the kind of peace that he offers his followers. And what does he say? He says, I do not give to you as the world gives. What does he mean by that? He means that the world has a different definition and a different experience of peace. He's trying to say, listen, the kind of peace that I will leave with you, that I am offering to you, it's not the kind of peace that the world offers. It's not the kind of peace that the world says that you can have because the kind of peace that the world thinks is true peace is completely and utterly based upon the circumstance. Is life going well? Are you prospering? Do you have good health? Well, then you're at peace. Are your relationships good? Well, then you're at peace. But if not, well, then we don't have peace. And so I'd like to show this this quick video. It's about four minutes long that I think really highlights this distinction. I think it brings to life Jesus' words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, but I do not give to you as the world gives. So let's watch this video together. Okay, we are out on White Ave today, and since Christmas season is the time for peace, we're asking people if they have ever experienced peace in their life and when. I don't think so, no. I can think of a couple things, but maybe not on air. <laughs> uh, yes. I don't know when. <laughs> peace. What kind of peace do you mean? Define peace. Inner peace? Environmental peace? 
<laughs> when I've been home with my wife. You know what? The beach makes me feel peaceful. Just before bed, going to bed. When I'm sleeping. <laughs> when I'm sitting at home on the couch on my own. I suppose as a child. I guess with my family. Backstage when the show's over. Probably when I was a kid. Yes, I have. I have. Traveling. Away from all the problems. Hiding them almost. But yes, I have. For a brief moment. It's not really like there's peace everywhere, so... I don't even remember one time. When I'm doing my addiction, that's hunting and fishing. I'm an AT hunter. I'm a trapper. That's when I experience peace, when I'm away from people. My mother went through a heart attack, and I guess peace when when uh, she got over it. <laughs> Illegal activities? <laughs> In the mountains, or like riding my horse, and going real fast. <laughs> peace is watching my little baby daughter sleep. I think I've experienced the most peace in a West African refugee camp. Well, lately, not so much, but I think, yeah, I have experienced peace in my life. Probably one time at camp, I was sitting on top of this mountain, just this beautiful view, just all these beautiful trees and lakes everywhere. I think that would probably be the time I've been most at peace in my life. Standing on the Cliffs of Moher in Ireland. Uh, Probably when I went to India. I experienced peace in my life. When I see my family, because that's what the most important thing is. Every day, because my boyfriend loves me. When I became a Christian, Christmas is time peace, except for like shopping and the chaos and stuff. Around Christmas time, I always feel really peaceful. It's a really good time of year. Right now. Because <laughs> I'm almost done my shopping. <laughs> I guess when I've been just kind of focused on God and not letting everything else in life stress me out. So not at finals right now, no. Um, I never ex- experienced peace in my life. Um, like specifically, what do you mean, like really? Getting my ear pierced? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. No, man. There's always something going on. Everything. There's always chaos going on. I think the closest I've ever came to peace... Probably in Korea, in the gym. Just going to the gym every day and like, I don't know, it was a, it was a weird sense of community because I couldn't speak any Korean and they couldn't speak any English. But, but we had a blast, you know, and everyone got along famously. And, but yeah, no, it's always a fight, man. Always a struggle, every day. I've known peace like pretty much all my life because of I know God and that gives me peace. Every morning when I wake up next to her, I don't know, I don't see any war here, do you? <laughs> I don't know, my life's pretty peaceful. Don't really get into too many fights or arguments or don't really have to defend myself physically on a daily basis. Uh, before the age of four? Uh, usually at the hardest times in my life. Yeah, and I think that's grace. Yeah, you realize uh, what your priorities are and you um, seem to connect with people on a more real level when you're in hard times.
<clears throat> so I think that video highlights pretty, pretty well the words of Jesus, right? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So we've seen three pieces to peace. It's a gift. It's something that's outside of us. It's not circumstantial. And the fourth piece to peace is this. Peace mitigates anxiety and fear. Notice what Jesus says after he gives them this gift of peace. He says, my peace I leave with, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And then he utters these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And so these are the pieces of true inward peace. Peace is a gift given to those who follow Christ, who have been born again, who are his followers. Peace is outside of us, and yet it comes to live inside of us. It's, it's not circumstantial, and it mitigates anxiety and fear. It fights against the worries, the fears, the anxieties that we have in our life. And so just from this simple verse, we've seen four pieces to peace. And yet if we stopped with John 14, you might be tempted to think that we don't really have a part in this. You might be tempted to think that we don't really have a part in experiencing true inward peace, right? It's, it's a gift. It's outside of us. It, it, it's not circumstantial, and it, and it mitigates anxiety and fear. And so you may be asking, well, do I have any part to play in truly experiencing this inward peace that Christ offers to his disciples? And the answer, I think, is yes. We do have a part to play. And so we've seen four pieces of peace, and now I want to move to four pathways, to four pathways of peace. That is, what are the roads that we need to travel experientially, practically, on an everyday level to experience this kind of peace that Jesus is offering to us? I'd ask you now to turn with me a little bit further in your New Testament to the book of Philippians. And so if you're in the Gospels, turn right until you see the book of Philippians. And if you find it, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. There in Philippians chapter 4, in verses 6 through 9, we're going to find three of the four pathways to peace. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I struggle at times with worry, anxiety, Fear, it's something that I always have struggled with and will continue to, although in God's grace, I think I've made some progress in this area. But I continually, over and over and over again, go back to this passage in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, because it shows us three of the four pathways to truly, practically experiencing this kind of inward peace. Let's read this scripture together, Philippians 4, chapter, uh, uh, verses 6 through 9. Paul says, do not, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And what's the result? And the God of peace will be with you. So here in these short three or four verses, I think we see 
three of the four pathways to peace. And the first one is found in verses 6 through 7, and that's prayer. So if you're taking notes, prayer, prayerfulness, is the first pathway to peace. You may be familiar, depending upon how old you are, with Bobby McFarlane's old song, Don't Worry, Be What? Okay, yeah, I won't sing it, because I can't, well, and do it justice. But you're probably familiar with that. If, don't, if you're not, go Google it, right? Young kids, go Google it. <laughs> In that song, he, he, the refrain is, don't worry, be happy, right? So, so his way to fight worry, to fight anxiety, to fight fear, right, to fight a lack of peace, is simply, just don't do it and be happy, okay? I wish it were that easy, but in truth, it's not. But here Paul gives us maybe uh, something similar to that. If uh, Paul were singing the song, I think this is what he would say. I think the song would go, don't worry, be prayerful. I think that's what he would say. Don't worry, be prayerful. Because one of the chief ways to fight anxiety and fear, according to Philippians 4, is having an incredible, continual, faithful, enjoyable prayer life. Notice what Paul says. He says, While we have peace with God, Romans 5 says we can have peace with God the moment we trust in Christ. That is upward peace. We are reconciled with God. We experience the peace of God. The preposition makes a huge difference, right? We experience the the peace of God through prayer, is what Paul says. We see that in this little short two verses, uh, that what we see of the the pieces to peace is affirmed, right? So we see that that peace is a gift. It comes to those who are what? Notice, it will guard your hearts and your minds, what? In Christ Jesus, right? So this peace is a gift. It comes to those who are in Christ. We see affirmed that peace is also outside of us because what is it called? Is it called the peace of ourselves? It's not called that. It's called the peace of what? The peace of God, right? It's God's peace. It's outside of us. We see that it's not circumstantial. What does Paul say? He says, don't be anxious about most things. Is that what he says? No. I kind of wish he would because then I'd be more obedient, right? But he says, don't be anxious about anything. Anything means anything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in how many situations? What does it say? In every situation, by prayer and and petition, present your Request to God, right? So it's not circumstantial. It mitigates fear and anxiety. Notice the promise here. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so friends, Christians, if we want to experience true inward peace in an increasingly abundant way in our lives, the first and I would say primary pathway is through prayer. And so... How's your, how's your life of peace these days? How's your experience of peace these days? How's your level of anxiousness these days? How's your level of fear these days? How's, how's your level of, of worry these days? Well, most peaceful people on earth, the most peaceful people, the most peaceful Christians are the most prayerful people. And so engage in prayer. Pray at all times. Pray in the morning. Pray at work. Pray when you're doing the dishes. Pray when you're enjoying your spouse. Pray when you're enjoying your kids. Pray at all times. Because as we develop our prayer life, I think experientially the peace of God will grow. So that's the first pathway. 
But there's another one found in these verses, and it's found in verse 8. And it's the pathway of pondering. He says, pray, and then he says, ponder. Notice what he says in in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, then what are we supposed to do? Think. Your translation may say, ponder. Uh, The word in Greek essentially means to uh, focus our attention on these things and to have our mind set on these types of things. And so prayer is a pathway to peace, and yet pondering, setting our mind on that which is positive as opposed to worry. I think training ourselves to guard our, our minds, what comes into our minds, and in particular what comes out of our minds as it relates to, to worry and anxiety is huge. And so what would you say consumes your thoughts on a daily basis? Is it characterized, are they characterized by truthfulness, nobleness, righteousness, purity, love, that which is admirable, being excellent or praiseworthy. I think not only are the most peaceful people the most prayerful people, but the most peaceful people, I think, are the most positive people as well. And so Paul says, pray and then ponder. Pray and ponder. And then the third pathway is this, practice. Notice what Paul says, pray ponder, and then in verse 9, practice it, put it into practice. Whatever you have heard or received or, excuse me, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, that is in my lifestyle, put it into what? Practice. Put it into practice. What Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, I've just told you things that you're supposed to do. I've told you to be prayerful, to fight anxiety. I've told you to ponder these kind of positive things, right? I've, I've told you how to do this, but practically speaking, look at my life. Look at how I do it, is what Paul's saying. He's not boasting. He's saying, if you want a good guide, look at how I do this. Look at how I fight fear. Look at how I fight anxiety. If, if you've learned it from me, if you've received it, if you've heard it from my lips, and more importantly, if you've seen it in my life, Put it into practice. There is an exercise of prayerfulness and pondering that helps us grow in having the peace of God. What does he say? And the peace of God will be with you. You know, I did a, a little, a, a little uh, easy math uh, as I was thinking about this idea of practicing, right? And so I played three sports in high school. I don't know how many you did, but for this illustration, I played three sports, right? I played, let's see if I can remember, basketball, baseball, and tennis. And track, but just for one year. Three, three main sports, right? I, mean, I played three main sports, and I started to think about how many hours of practice in my four-year high school career did I put in? And I thought, I have no idea. And so I started to think and just do some, some numbers. I played three sports. Check me on my math here. I played three sports. Let's just say we practiced three times a week. I think that's reasonable because you have games and things like that, right? So let's say uh, I practice three times a week, and let's just say the average amount of uh, practice time per day is two hours. So let's say you practice two hours a day, three uh, days a week for three sports. Let's say I did that for about 10 months, right? That may be a little bit overkill, but let's just make the math easy. And I did that for 10 months for how many years? For four years, right? I did the math. And uh, that's roughly about 240 hours a year that I spent practicing my three sports. 
And over a career, if you do the math, I think that's 906 hours. Uh, if I did the math wrong, forgive me. My mom is a math teacher, but it didn't come down this way, okay? So uh, about 900 hours. 900 hours I spent in my four-year high school career. And then I had to think, why did I do that? Why did I spend so much time practicing? Well, it's because um, hitting a free throw takes practice, right? And hitting a nice slice serve to your opponent's backhand, that takes, it takes some practice, right? And hitting a curveball, well, that takes a lot of practice, okay? Um, it just doesn't come natural, we grow in our propensity to do these things, right? And so I had to practice. And I think the same is true in a lot of areas in the Christian life, in particular when it comes to our prayer life and our pondering. It's something that we have to practice at. There's room for growth. And I think experientially, um, we experience Christ's peace as we pray, the more we pray. And we experience Christ's peace the more we ponder and learn to set our mind on holy and righteous things. And so you may be here and say, man, I'm not experiencing much of this peace and I know I'm a Christian. And then I would say, practice, 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 right? Practice it. If we want inward peace, then we need to learn to grow experientially in these disciplines of prayer and pondering. The most, some of the most peaceful people in the world um, are prayerful and they're, and they're positive, but they're proficient, right? They, they practice at it. And so we've seen three practical things that we can do to grow in our experience of this inward peace. We can pray, we can ponder, and then we can practice those things. And there's, there's one more. And for that last one, I'd like for you to turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So turn backwards in your Bibles. Isaiah is a large book. So find about the middle of your Bible. You'll find Psalms. Keep going. You'll find Isaiah. It's a large prophetic book. And I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 26. If you don't have the text, it should be up on the screen. There in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, is another one of my memory verses. If you struggle with fear, anxiety, worry, then this is one that I would commend to you to set in, in your mind to help you fight that. Isaiah 26, 3. And the fourth path, pathway that we find here is that of persuasion. Persuasion. We need to pray, we need to ponder, we need to practice those things, but we need to have a persuasion. We need to be persuaded of something. And what we need to be persuaded of increasingly is that God is good and that he's sovereign and that he's in control and that he doesn't allow anything into our lives without his sovereign consent and that he, he uses all things for our good that we might become like Christ. We need to have a confidence in God's power, his sovereignty, and his goodness. Before we look at Isaiah 26, I just want to let you know that the audience to which Isaiah originally wrote were living in tumultuous times. He wasn't writing to people who um, life was just hunky-dory and there was nothing to fear about. In fact, there was much to fear about to Isaiah's original audience. Three things. First of all, they had seen the nation to the north of them by the name of Israel, their kindred nation, exiled by the nation of Assyria. So the Assyrians were coming onto the scene, and they were mean. They were mean. They were ruthless to those that they conquered, and then what they would do is they would conquer a nation and export you. So it would be like the nation of China coming in, uh, militarily conquering us, and saying, I'm going to uproot you from Cisna Park, and you're going to now live in Beijing. That, that's what they did. 
And so their neighbors to the north had had that happen to them. They themselves were now a vassal state to Assyria because they had rebelled against the Assyrian power. They had lost, and so they were kind of uh, not really independent anymore. They were under the control of these barbaric, uh, brutal people. And they had seen every city in their nation fall to the Assyrians except for their capital. So it would be like this. It would be like every city in the United States no longer being under the dominion of the United States of America except for Washington, D.C. Only the capital remained. And it's in this kind of circumstance that Isaiah writes these words to God's people of old. And of course, he writes it to us today. They utterly were lacking. They needed inward peace. And so Isaiah helps them and us out. And he writes these words, speaking of God, you, you God, will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. The key word there being because they trust in you. Here he uses the double the double word, your translation probably says perfect peace. Literally, in, he, it's, in Hebrew, it's you will keep him in peace, peace. Peace, peace. When the Hebrews wanted to emphasize something, they just wrote it twice, right? Perfect peace, ultimate peace is being offered, inward peace to those who set their mind upon you because they what? They trust in you. And so Isaiah offers both them and us a final pathway to peace. And it's being persuaded beyond a shadow of the doubt of God's trustworthiness and his goodness and his sovereignty in any circumstance in our life. The most, the most peaceful people are not only prayerful, they're not only positive, they're not only proficient in practicing these things, but they're presumptuous. They presume on God's goodness in spite of the circumstance. So we've seen four pieces to peace. We've seen four pathways to peace. This morning, this, this Christmas season, you, you may find yourself in a, in a position of personal difficulty, suffering, anxiety, fear, worry. You might be in a circumstance much like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and maybe his lyrics, And in despair I bowed my head, There is no peace on earth, I said. Maybe you would write those lyrics too if you were thinking about your experience. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would experience this Christmas season afresh, the gift of God's peace. It transcends our circumstances. It mitigates the fear and the anxiety in the knotted stomachs that we have as we walk in the pathways of peace, as we walk in prayer as we walk in pondering, as we walk in practice, and as we walk in persuasion, so that we too may join in singing and proclaiming his last stanza with great confidence. The wrong shall fail. The right shall prevail with peace on earth and goodwill to men. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be among us as our Prince of Peace, that your son, who is the Prince of Peace. You offer us this incredible peace as your followers. It's a gift that you have bestowed upon us. It's completely outside of us, and yet we experience it on the inside. It's not based on 
how life is going, and it's powerful to fight against our fears and our worries. Father, I pray that we would practice these pathways, that our prayer life this Christmas season would increase, that we would delight in you more, that we would converse with you more every moment of every day, and that our mind would ponder that which is true as opposed to that which is uncertain, that which is good as opposed to that which is negative, that our thoughts would be overly positive and that we would practice these things and be utterly persuaded that you are a good God, worthy of our trust, in control of all things, and that you truly, as the Prince of Peace, would offer us the peace of God that passes all understanding, and that you, as the God of peace, would be with us. In the name of Jesus, amen.